It's Tuesday, February 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio from Fool One, Morgan Housel, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Mike Olson. Gentlemen, happy Tuesday. Hey, hey. Howdy. Earnings season is in full swing, so we'll be talking about some of the highlights from today's batch of reports. But we begin where so many problems do, Congress. Janet Yellen is making her first public appearance as chairwoman of the Federal Reserve today. Morgan, what's today's appearance all about, and what are some of the expectations we have from Ms. Yellen? Well, I think there are a couple things. One is that whenever uh, any sitting Fed chairman or ch- chairwoman, mm. actually on that topic, Janet Yellen does not want to be called chairwoman. Oh, really? She wants to be called Fed Chair Yellen. Fed it's true. Chair Yellen. So Fed, Fed Chair Yellen. Whenever they very go before, progressive. Whenever um, they go before Congress, they're not going to say anything that we didn't already know. Hmm. Every single word is is very uh, is heavily scripted. Hmm. So in, in terms of what we expect from Jalen, for, from from Janet Yellen, not much. But I, I would say uh, it's really interesting when you look back at the history of Fed chairmen, how they were judged when they were in office versus after office is usually completely different. Hmm. So Paul Volcker was really hated when he was Fed chairman in the late 70s and early 80s. He was really despised. I mean, there were protests on on the Capitol to oust Paul Volcker. He was jacking up interest rates to try to slay inflation. Mm. Now, in hindsight, he's one of the most beloved, respected Fed chairmen. Greenspan was a, a living god when he was chairman. People just bowed at his feet. Now we look back at him as he screwed a lot of things up. <laughs> And I, I think that'll be true for, for Ben Bernanke. We, we really don't know how history is going to judge him. It usually takes 10 or 20 years before we can really see how history judges these people. Uh, you know, that's, I guess that's true for presidents, too. And, and so when people talk about what should we expect from Yellen, what, you know, how is Yellen going to do, I don't think we know that today. I don't think we'll know it 20 years from now. Right, right. So yeah. let's, let's rebook this show in the year, uh, what's that? 2034, and oh, yeah. we'll we'll talk about how Yon did. That's a very good point. I mean, she just was appointed uh, officially on February first. Ten days later, she's m- making her first public appearance. Um, so the market, the market is reacting sort of to her words. Uh, last time I checked, uh, should investors be worried? Should investors be reacting? Should we should we be hanging on Janet Yellen's every word, or is it just this is day one? This is appearance one story's going to be the same as it was under Bernanke, at least for a little while. I, I think I think it'll it'll be almost exactly as Ben Bernanke would have done for right. at least a while, probably until the next crisis. Okay, and, and and then we'll see. You know that that's really true for you know Fed chiefs too. It's mm-hmm. most of their job, ninety eight percent of the job, is just kind of you know just kind of sitting there doing their thing. It's right. it's when it's when it hits the fan that that Fed chiefs go to work and really earn their salary, so to One speak. One thing that is interesting, though, if you wanted to go ahead and, and wade into this whole debate surrounding the Fed's role it as a policymaking tool or other, um, you know, increasingly the Fed has focused on unemployment and inflation, where previously they've been more focused on inflation. And in Yellen's prepared remarks, she said that she's going to be taking a closer look at U6 versus U3. Now, U3 is the headline unemployment number, which is a somewhat arbitrary figure on account of the fact that the denominator is by and large a fabrication. They have to determine what the workforce is, which is the number of individuals seeking employment. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is. In U6, the the denominator is just the total population. and so I, I think that speaks to this idea that they're going to continue to have a, a pretty strong focus on employment in addition to inflation, which, you know, from what we know of Yellen, that, that, that sort of coincides with her, her history and view of the Fed. 
Okay, so to go back to Morgan's point and combining it with yours, what is Janet Yellen's next crisis? Is it unemployment? Is it emerging markets slowing down? What's it going to be? Well, I'd say this. In Paul Volcker's first year, inflation spiked. In Alan Greenspan's first year, is a crash at 87. Mm. Ben Bernanke's first year, the housing bubble burst. It's going to happen in Janet Yellen's first year. It's going to be an exciting first year. Let's let's wait and see. I really hope it's not an exciting first year. (laughs) It would be nice for a calm one. All right. Turning now to earnings news. ConAgra has reported that it's cutting its outlook for fiscal 2014, sending shares down over 7% today. Mike, you're a ConAgra guy. Where's this weakness coming from? I'm not a ConAgra guy. Um, <laughs> you know ConAgra. I know ConAgra, and that is the reason why I am not a ConAgra guy. What you've got here is you have a bunch of very lackluster private labelish brands. They're all second and third tier. Mm-hmm. And so here's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a company that has to go ahead and compete on price mm. with private labels. And that's not really a good equation in the scheme of things. They're basically expecting declining volumes. And that EPS is not going to be particularly robust. Now, if you look back at the history of ConAgra, what they did last year was they did a merger with Ralcorp, Mm -hmm. which is a manufacturer of a bunch of fairly generic cereals. Um, So what do you get here? You get a company that benefits from scale at the manufacturing level and supply chain. They're able to go ahead and secure shelf space and source product more efficiently. They might be able to get in some places they otherwise couldn't. But at the end of the day, you still have a bunch of products that people don't really care too much or have much in the way of loyalty towards. And so, you know, I look at this, I see a 7% share or share price decline. Shares are trading at, you know, maybe 12, 13 times earnings. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty hard to get excited about them. I think they might get cost savings out of the merger. But when I think about how and if they're going to get revenue growth, that's an uphill slog. So I just I can't really get too excited about this company. ConAgra has Slim Jim in their portfolio, right? Yes. I think once they got rid of Macho Man Randy Savage as the spokesman, it was all, all downhill. All downhill. Yeah, it's just no intensity. <laughs> no intensity, absolutely. <laughs> all right, uh, moving right along. CVS is also in the news yet again. Shares are up after it reported shockingly strong earnings earlier this morning. Where's CVS's strength coming from, Mike? Yeah, so, you know, this was this quarter, if you were to look at it, it actually doesn't look too spectacular mm-hmm. on account of the fact that most of the EPS beat here was due to lower interest expense and a reduction in share count. Now, step back a quarter and you see that's a timing issue because some of their Medicare Part D profits were booked in Q3 instead of Q4. Mm. The numbers. You know, they're okay. They're pretty good. This is a good full year. Um, I think a lot of what the market's excited about is the guidance, which calls for, I think it's low teens growth to EPS. Mm-hmm. The reality here is um, even if you were to go ahead and put cigarettes back in the equation, which by my math added maybe about $200 million to the bottom line, this is a company that did $4.9 billion in profits last year. Mm-hmm. They're only calling for about 7% growth to profits. Um, a lot of that EPS figure is driven by share purchases. That being said, you know it's not extraordinarily expensive right here. I think it's trading for maybe 13, 14 times next year's cash flow guidance. Mm-hmm. CVS made a very smart strategic decision by acquiring Caremark several years ago. Caremark, for those of you who don't know, it's a pharmacy benefit manager. What they do is they negotiate drug costs on behalf of customers. And so what you have here is you have 
an entity which is able to negotiate lower drug costs coupled to the storefront. That's kind of a potent one to punch. On a structural basis, I think they're very, very well positioned. Um, but you know, I don't know why anybody got excited or not excited about this quarter. It's kind of a non-factor in the scheme of things. Look, you know, the the big news for CVS last week was that they are getting rid of all cigarettes, all all uh, you know, they're, tobacco they're, products, all, all tobacco yeah, products. Yeah. So there's a big issue of you know, not you know, you can talk about what this means for the business. You can run the numbers, as Mike just said. It's pretty insignificant overall. But right. then you can. You know, there, there's a there's another debate here about what does this mean morally? Are more companies going to start doing this for moral reasons? You know, CVS said they really want they're moving more towards a healthcare company mm-hmm. and to be selling cigarettes in the in the company at the same time just didn't seem right to them. But then people are you know, saying, well, okay, you know that's great, but you're still selling scratcher tickets and and sodas and candy bars. Is right. that is, is that really beer? Is, you know, <laughs> d- d- does that make you a health food company too mm-hmm. or a, a, a healthcare company? I should say. Are they going to stop stocking the really big bottle of wine because that the people who buy that are alcoholics. Um, <laughs> if they like do, the really then I'm no longer one. shopping there. My uh, God, no. I need my box of friends. Yeah. So you guys, so you like or Mike? Do you like the direction CVS is taking? You said that you like the Caremark acquisition. Do you mm. like that in conjunction with this new direction towards being more healthcare oriented? You know, I'm kind of ambivalent about it. <laughs> the reality is, um, this didn't matter that much from an EPS perspective to start. Um, people are going to smoke or not. Uh, I don't know that it necessarily changes customer perception in such to such a vast degree. Mm-hmm. The reality is there are only, what, two, maybe three mass market pharmacies. And so okay. I don't know that this brings people in who were previously not going there. Although I, I would say, and I'm sure they knew this when it, when it happened, there was so much good so many good headlines mm-hmm. for CVS last week. So many people saying this is the right thing. This is a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. J- just the increase in, in in those headlines, you know, the goodwill that that made probably made up for the two hundred million dollars in profits that they're leaving on the table. Good point. Good mm-hmm. point. All right. Uh, in other news, shares of Rackspace plummeted this morning after yesterday's late earnings report. The company was hit by the double whammy of a 30% decline in profits and the retirement of its CEO. Uh, let's start with the bottom line. <laughs> Mike, are you laughing? What's, what's, the, what's the giggle about? I mean, is this at all surprising? So Rackspace, for those of you who don't know, they are a cloud computing uh, services provider. And so effectively speaking, your company... You don't want to buy servers, but you need someone to host your website or whatever you will. Mm-hmm. Rackspace provides that service. This is a complete commodity good. Um, there is nothing special about it. They've continuously charged a premium price. And for some reason or another, they were able to grow at a breakneck rate for a very, very, very long time. Now, that's no longer happening. I don't know why anybody's surprised right here. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon is in this business. And effectively speaking... I don't even think that Amazon or you could argue that Amazon doesn't even need to think about this as a profit driver, but instead a way of subsidizing what idle server capacity they have. Mm -hmm. So they're going to ruthlessly try and squeeze Rackspace out. What's even more funny to me here is so the CEO's out. um, And I I guess I don't don't know what happens to their cool like mall headquarters or whatever you will, but that's another story. and he also said we're going to become a software-focused company. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I guess that's laudable in that if you go ahead and you build software packages around your core offering, your consumers are – or your core customers are a little bit stickier. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is this is just acknowledging 
what we knew to be a very, very large weakness. Mm. They're a commodity good. 51 times earnings, you know, I know there's a lot of growth left in this segment um, because there is there is a real logic to outs- using outsourced server capacity. But I also don't know where that profit margin is going to converge on. All I can say is that, that I think it's going to be lower. You, so. don't think, uh, you don't think Graham Weston, who was once the CEO and now again is the CEO, is going to turn things around? I mean, they're, they're down 45%, something like that, trailing 12 months, probably more after yeah. today. It does anything stop its freefall? What if anything stops? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just I have I have a hard time believing that this company is going to earn something in excess of its cost of capital given a long term view, and it's pretty apparent that the market is still pricing a lot of growth into this business. And mm. on a top line basis, there is, but those margins are going to be a lot lot lower mm. at some point in time. So you know, and there are going to be a lot more entrants into this space. Acquisition target. Uh, maybe. I mean, <laughs> how much can you sell servers for on the black market? <laughs> I guess that's a good point. All right. Uh, last but certainly not least, let's talk telecom. Shares of Sprint are up today after announcing solid earnings, not to mention the fact that it ended the year with its own personal record of 53.9 million subscribers. Mike, not a bad quarter for Sprint. Yeah, I just don't get the excitement right here. Smaller than expected loss is still a loss. And, you know, I, I believe um, long run, you know, they're still stuck in a rock and a hard spot here. Uh, Verizon and AT&T and, and Morgan and I, we're going to get into a nice little debate about this in a second. Oh, boy. They benefit from scale um, because there are really two major costs you're dealing with if you're a cell provider. The first is you have your spectrum costs. You need to be able to scale those things because it's not like you can go ahead and buy spectrum on a per diem mm. basis or a per subscriber basis. And the second is you can use what scale you have or consumer base to negotiate lower handset costs. Um, Sprint has that a little bit, but really not on the scale that Verizon and AT&T does. So it has to compete on price because its network is widely regarded as inferior. Mm-hmm. And it's also cost disadvantaged. Right. Um, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> Never a good thing. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, if you were to look at this, what Sprint really needs is they need a deal. It's rumored that they're going to do a tie-up with T-Mobile. Hmm. And uh, and that would be a very smart thing because then they are able to get more of a critical mass of subscribers, scale those spectrum costs, negotiate lower handset costs. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of a virtuous cycle in that. Now, speaking of costs, uh, AT&T announced a big drop in the price of its family plans as well as additional benefits like a one-time $100 credit to a customer's bill each for each new line they register. Morgan, is that a move of desperation or is it a move of strength? Well, I don't know if it's desperation. Mm-hmm. I mean, the space is definitely getting, you know, it's these companies are, are, are definitely going to start battling out with each other more in price. But to me, one of the biggest stories or what should be one of the biggest stories in telecom, is a company called Republic Wireless. It's a very small company. It's not a public company, so not a lot of investors hear about it. Mm-hmm. But they have a, what I think is a really neat business model. You can get a cell phone plan, basically no contract, for between $5 and $40 a month. Tell me more. What's the catch? The catch <laughs> is that when you, when you have access to Wi-Fi, all of your data, all of your call, calls go through Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. If you're not on Wi-Fi, they lease service from Sprint, and you get full. You get you get Sprint's full service. You're going to have coverage everywhere in the United States and Canada. Mm. So obviously, you know, most people when they're at their home using their phone either to make calls or data, they have Wi-Fi or at work. Yeah. There's no reason that you need to be going over 
any telecoms network to do that. So Republic Wireless just looks at it and says, look, if you have Wi-Fi, use that. And then the other small portion of the time, we'll give you some Sprint service. And it is so much cheaper than anything you could get at AT&T or Verizon uh, or, or Sprint. So it's really – it's a small company. It's a, it's a closely held company. Uh, but, you know, to me, it, it seems like, you know – Cell service, especially when you're talking about you know five family members, is so dang expensive this year that right. any company that can come in and shake it up and say we can give you a pretty good service for eighty percent less than you're paying, mm. if 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 they can do that even minorly successful, I have a feeling that'll be a big news story. And maybe the story over the next five years is not Republic Wireless doing it; it's AT and T and Verizon offering basically the same thing and saying, look. If, if you know, use Wi-Fi when you can, mm-hmm. and then you can have this stripped-down service uh, when, when, you, when you don't have Wi-Fi, and it's twenty bucks a month or something. So, right. do you see AT and T and Verizon actually doing that? It depends how step? successful right. Republic Wireless is at doing. That. I mean, there's so many things that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. I, uh, so. I think you know. To, but to me, I, I think a very good analogy with Republic Wireless is probably what Netflix was circa 2001 or something. People look at it and they shake their head and say, oh, no, they can never compete with Blockbuster. And that was, you know, so many things could have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Blockbuster could have done it better than them. Mm-hmm. But you look at it and you just say, God, if, these, if these guys can do, can do this even half right, mm-hmm. there's, so, there's so much room for them to run. Fair enough. Now, well, you can't you can invest in Republic right now, but if you had to invest in a telecom company, which would it be? Well, I, I own shares of both AT and T and Verizon because I think of them as my basically the the small bond portion of my four hundred one k. I don't nice. really think of them as. I mean, I, I own the common stocks, but I think of that as the bond portion of my four hundred one k. I've owned them for years, and I just consider them bonds. Hmm. What about you, Mike? Who do you like? Um, you know, if I were to, it would probably be AT and T. Um, or you know, actually, I take that back. It would be Verizon on account of the fact that if you have a circumstance uh, akin to what Morgan is talking about you're actually going to have a dramatic unintended consequence. And that is that the costs of um, bandwidth on fiber, internet, they're going to go up because people are going to be using a lot more data. Hmm. And so what ends up happening in there, that cost is passed on to your consumers. And in the long run, I think a lot of these upstarts are engaged in kind of a race to the bottom. Hmm. AT&T and Verizon are going to let them go ahead and hang themselves. That's what this move is with AT&T cutting the price. Looks good, but actually it's not. You know what? you got to pay full price for a handset right there. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys are trying to make it up on volume, and that's laudable. Maybe you can get the subscriber base once that happens. But – what they're going to need to do in order to lock in that profitability once it's done is raise prices. Right. Uh, Sprint offering this unlimited data thing here, that's not something you can do um, <laughs> because people are going to use it and that's bad um, for your margins. So I don't know. I mean, I love the idea of a scrappy upstart working. Mm-hmm. I just don't know the extent to which it does. Right. Um, I also think Verizon buying back the, uh, the Verizon wireless stake, uh, that was a tremendous deal what they did right there. So that was pretty smart. All right. Lots to watch in the telecom area. Okay. Morgan Housel, Mike Olson. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Henry Ann. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.